Hello everyone, welcome back to the Notable Podcast. I'm Fran, and this week I am on my own. I'm doing a lone episode. This episode is going to be all about things you wish you'd known um, or wish you'd learned as a musician in your early stages of being a musician, sort of when you were first learning or all the way up to in a professional career, what you what you wished, uh, what you wish you'd known. I took to Instagram. Our Instagram is at the Notable Insta. If you fancy following it, you can find out sort of other fun facts about our episodes and um, what's coming up, and just little bits and bobs. It's nice, and you can get involved in our future episodes. So, for example, I put up a question saying what do you wish you'd known slash been taught as a musician and I had some responses and I thought I'd share them with everybody. Disclaimer that these are all individual opinions and I'm sharing my experiences and advice on these points. My advice may not suit everyone but everyone is different and has their own practice slash learning style and experiences Um, And maybe you might want to share your own experiences if you didn't get a chance to comment on our post on Instagram. Well, I will put up a post about this episode um, soon, might already be up, you should go and check, and comment your own experiences if you haven't shared already. I'm sure any musician would love to hear because it might be a piece of advice that they haven't heard before. Um, And I think sharing is caring. Classic. Great. So, to start off, we're starting off with a couple of uh, random ones, and then we start into a, into a bit of a theme of, um, of experiences. So, to start, I had a friend say, I wish I'd known to actually do stretches before playing piano so that you don't get RSI. RSI is repetitive strain injury. You can get this in sports if you don't warm up properly. Um, You might pull a muscle. Music is more physical than people realise. And in the same way with sports, you have to warm up, you have to stretch because you're using your body, you're using your whole body in any instrument that you play. So that's really important. Repetitive strain injury can affect any part of your hand or your wrist or your arm, but basically means that it's painful to play piano. It might be painful to stretch um, bigger intervals on the piano. It might be too painful to do fast runs where you need to be more um, articulate with your fingering and more nimble. This goes, as I said, this goes for any instrument. I learned this the hard way with singing. I got quite a bit of tension in my voice a few months ago. I wasn't call- warming up and cooling down properly. And I had someone teach me a few techniques to help relax the vocal cords, and it has made a world of difference. I don't get anywhere near as tired when I do singing. I work in an environment where I'm doing small stints of enthusiastic singing to sort of younger children and I was sort of in the mindset like oh well I'm only doing like 15-20 minutes of singing hymns for instance but that was taking a toll doing that every day or doing that every few hours I was doing it in small stints a lot and turns out I needed to warm up and cool down and as I said it's made a massive difference. A good tip 
for piano is um, one that I was taught a few months ago was to lay your hand out on a flat surface with your palm facing upwards. I'm demonstrating, but obviously you can't see what I'm doing, but hopefully I'm describing this okay. You get a heavy object such as a book, not too heavy, you don't want to injure yourself by trying to prevent injury or um, squish your hand or anything. But the idea is to stretch your hand more than you can by just physically doing it on your own. So it's just allowing some pressure to stretch out the thumb tendons and the fingers and the palm and all those um, all those tendons and all those muscles. And that actually feels really good. I highly recommend for anyone that has a job that involves lots of handiwork. Also, not just sort of warming up and cooling down, but like that hand exercise, stretching, yoga, um, stretching before your warm up, warming up your body, your muscles. I know at choir we all um, sort of go into a forward fold and sort of sway a bit and stretch our stretch our calves and our our sort of leg muscles, and then we roll up slowly, stretching the spine and um, do some arm stretches, some sh- shoulder stretches because. Like I said, music is a very physical thing. If you're using your arms, you're, you know, everything, the spine is connected to, to everything. Everything's connected. So it's really important to um, look after yourself, especially as you get older, because you're more prone to injury and you want to be playing music as long as possible. So you might as well do five minutes of stretching that's going to feel good anyway, despite thinking, oh, no, I won't bother today. It's always worth it. Always worth it. My point that I wish I'd known is something I've learned this year, which is so silly and just something I just really don't remember learning this. So I teach when you do a, a music grade with ABRSM, which is the um, Associated Board of the Royal Schools of Music. There are a board of examination that you do one of the ways that you can do your music grades. And in the exam, after you've performed your pieces, you do some listening questions such as repeating a melody back from the piano or they play a piece and you have to describe the features and one of the things you do is modulations. Modulations is where the music starts in a in a specific place such as C major. Um, oh no, I'm going to use an, a minor example because this links to my point. For example, C minor. When you modulate, modulate is like going to a different destination before you come back to your original destination. And you might modulate to the dominant when you're in a minor key. The dominant is chord five of that key. So in C, let's count up five from C. You have C is one, D, E, F, G. So G, the chord of G is the dominant chord. Now when you're in a minor key, you often sharpen the seventh. If you sharpen the seventh in C minor, you get a B natural. Just stick with me. If you're a musician going, yes, Fran, we know this, then just keep listening. And I'm sorry that I didn't get onto this sooner, but I swear I was not told this during grade eight theory, sorry, during my grade eight practical exams in my oral tests. So that means, because if you sharpen the seventh of the original key, so B natural, that makes the G minor chord, which would have been G, B flat, D, into a G major chord. So I used to 
you know, you're told, okay, well, when you're in a minor key and then you modulate to a major key, then you've gone to the relative major. No, you might have gone to the dominant, but the dominant's major. Man, that actually blew my mind. And I was just thinking, I swear I was not told this. That makes so much sense. Anyway, an insight into Fran's brain. So that was something I wish I'd been told, because I think just explaining things that way would have helped me understand it, so everything so much more. And another one that I think is important and very different to my previous point, just in a different um, vein and different area, is how to do tax returns as a freelance musician. So my friend who um, put this in, I'm assuming she has had to go through this already. And I feel very, well, I haven't done this yet. So because I haven't needed to yet, I will probably have to do this next year. So I can't offer any advice now, but let's see if I can offer any advice next year. This is a very good point though. I feel like schools just assume that you'll learn on the way but jumping straight from university into a freelance work life is a massive step. And if you go straight into it, you haven't necessarily um, met the people that are already doing this that you can get advice from. So then you're just thrown in the deep end and that's tough for anyone. I feel lucky to have um, really good friends who have already been in this position for many years. So I can speak to them about it next year when it gets to it. But like I said, let's hope I have more advice next year for everyone. The next point. Someone has said, subdividing the beat to stay in pulse and also to practice slowly. Both are great points. Subdividing the beat helps understand in more detail the breakdown of the bar and the internal pulse and your overall musicality will improve. However, I had an experience recently where I tried to subdivide cut time or tutu and I couldn't do it. It threw me off massively because I was counting something that was supposed to be counted in minims. So I was counting uh, something that was supposed to be counted two beats in a bar. So two, two, two. There are two lots of two beats. <laughs> ah. Um, and I was counting, I was trying to count it in crotchets because I thought that was going to make me understand it better and subdivide it better. So I was basically counting 2-2 two, two in 4-4. Four, four. Turns out, nope, not the way to do it for me. It's like, the only way I can think of describing it is like doing your four times tables in twos. It makes sense, but it also doesn't. And it's kind of just wrong. So while it can help in practice to understand where each beat falls exactly um, and understanding the internal pulse of the music and get a better grasp of just the, uh, the rhythmic um, nature of the music, it did not help me with sight reading. And I did an audition after that where I was thinking, okay, I clearly can't count in cut time. I'm scarred from that previous audition. Um, that went dreadful. And I got into the audition and the siren came up and I was like, please don't be cut time. Please don't be cut time. Cause I clearly can't count in cut time. And then it was cut time. And I was like, typical, thanks, great. And I was like, right, I learned from last time. Let's count in two. 
And it went perfectly. It went fine. My sight reading was great, I think. Um, so I've redeemed myself. But just subdividing can be great, but it can also not be. <laughs> I'm going to get on to practicing slowly in a minute. Another thing with rhythms is that you can play around with rhythms during your practice. And this is something I learnt quite young, actually. And this is, this is something I'm glad I learnt and has been really helpful. And I'm not sure everyone knows it, so I'm just sharing it in case there's, this becomes something that someone wishes they'd known. Um, it's practising passages with different rhythms. So this is especially um, helpful when you've got, say, a faster passage of lots of quavers or lots of semi-quavers and making them even, making them crisp, making sure that they don't rush, making sure that they don't slow down. So, for example, if you have a long passage of quavers, so there would just be uh, one and two and one and two and, you might want to practice them dotted. So you might go one and two and one and two and da 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 da. Or the other way is one and, two and, three and, four and, da 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 da. Um, I'm not sure how well I explained that. But dotted rhythms is really helpful. And then going back to just straight rhythm, you'll probably find that your rhythms are more even. Your quavers are more even. This was something that I learned from quite a young age that I found really useful, not just with piano, but I actually learned it first um, in orchestra when we would do sectionals on violin. So a helpful point. I'm sorry if you can hear my laptop absolutely trying to cool itself down. It's clearly overheating, but we'll keep going. One thing I also wish I'd known is that practicing scales can be fun. When you're doing any music grade, you will have to do scales. And everyone thinks scales are just the boring bits that, you, that are just sort of, you just have to do them. They're just the compulsory bits that no one wants to do. Absolutely not. They're the fundamentals of music. Something my dad told me that one of his teachers told him was that you should learn your scales and your arpeggios because what do you think music is made up of? Music is just made up of scales and arpeggios in varying orders. So it's great to learn them. And one thing I did, which I, which I wish I'd known sooner, um, was when I was practicing for my grade eight piano. And this was at the time when you had to learn every scale, major, minor, both harmonic minor and melodic minor, arpeggios, dominant sevenths, diminished sevenths, the like. I made it a game for myself. I wrote down all the keys, put them in a hat, then I picked them out one by one. So let's say I'd pick out E flat major. If I could play E flat major, if I could do it major, uh, I think I wrote them all down separately. So if I could do E major with a E major arpeggio, boom, it went into a separate hat, which was the sort of completed, woohoo, I can do it. If I couldn't play it, it went back into the original hat. So I'd pick it out again and I'd, it would stay in the hat until I could play it. 
And that was a really helpful way of narrowing down which ones needed work and which ones didn't, because it's very easy to just play the scales that you know and then be like, oh, well, I can play all of these scales. And then there's like four left that you just always avoid because you're like, well, I can't play this, but I can play all the others. But I also found this, that when I started enjoying them, they became a really nice little morning workout for my brain. So I do them in the morning and then, you know, 10 minutes longer, shorter. Sometimes I'd be there for like half an hour just doing scales because it was just a nice sort of workout that was also relaxing for my brain. It was very therapeutic. So I think finding a way that you can make it a game or you can make it enjoyable for yourself um, is really, really great. Back to practicing slowly. Practicing slowly takes patience. I've seen those videos saying, what type of person are you when you practice? Such as like um, the one that just crashes down on the keys or the one who like does it really slowly and then like can't do it. Then they like swear or they run off or whatever. And it's, it's funny because I feel like we're all one of them. But being able to slow something down, even when you know you can play it faster or you can play most of it faster, takes so much patience and understanding that you have to go through the slow sluggish bits to get to the end goal. It's knowing that, okay, you know, if you didn't practice it slowly, you'd still be able to get to the end of the piece. You'd still be able to play it fine, but it wouldn't be as good as it could be had you practiced those little bits slowly. It could be cleaner, it could be more expressive. So it's about knowing the end goal and knowing your potential and wanting to reach that potential no matter what it takes. So yeah, it takes longer. It takes working slowly through it, which can be difficult and frustrating. It can be really frustrating. Um, what helps is... Oh, I sort of missed a point, but the, I'm going to say this point so I've not missed it now, but it links in with what I'm saying about practicing slowly. So um, one of my friends says, when I was about 17 in an organ masterclass, someone showed us how to practice properly with a metronome. If no one knows what a metronome is, it's a machine that you can set certain beats per minute on. I found that transformed how quickly I could learn new music and I wish I'd used it like that all along. It's not necessarily everyone's cup of tea though. I personally love practicing with a metronome. Yes, it can be tedious, especially when moving the tempo up two notches at a time when you need to get from say 60 beats per minute to 100 beats per minute. But it is a very efficient way of practicing and I agree. Um, but again, this comes back to practicing slowly. Practicing with a metronome, sometimes you have to take out things like expression, for instance, like rubato, to practice with a metronome. But it's about getting it all learnt in the most efficient way. And also with a metronome, is it can be funny to see where you slow down when playing a piece or you speed up without realising. So you might not realise at a certain bar that you slow down at that bar when you're not playing with a metronome, when you might not mean to. 
So a metronome can really highlight the bits that you may not have realised you need to practice. Going back to the practising slowly and sort of, I guess, almost bringing the points together, is that I was speaking to my friends about this yesterday. It's when you see loads of artists, pop singers, people on talent shows, they're only showing the end product or a tiny fragment of the work and production that has gone into a performance or a recording, like a CD, for instance, or a single. I've heard children say, I'm just going to be discovered and then I'll be a singer or an artist or a rapper or, you know, a songwriter, etc. But so much happens behind the scenes that they don't see, so they don't necessarily know the work that has to go in to get there. It doesn't just magically happen. You don't just get discovered. I mean, you can, but there's often a lot of work that goes in before that. And if you want, it it will be more likely to happen if you've put the work in as well. Sometimes this work is stage school, music, practical grades, learning your music theory, hours of practice, hours of playing in open mic um, events or venues, or for pop production, so if there if it's an artist that's already established, there's hours of vocal coaching that goes into them, all the production and all the people that work together to put together, say, a live performance or a CD recording, even just a single. So much work, so many people, and it's an amazing thing, but it's also things that we don't always see. It's very much the iceberg image that you see, where the end product is the tip of the iceberg and all the hard work is the huge bit of the iceberg underneath the surface. If you put the work in, you will always be rewarded. This is something that people don't necessarily realise. So they just think, well, what's the point? But the point is that you'll always be rewarded. You might not be rewarded in the way you think you will, but you will always gain experience, confidence, level of ability, knowledge, any of those, there is always some sort of reward if you're willing to look for it, I guess. You just got to keep going. And this brings me on to my final point. I had some people say that one thing they wished they'd been told, so these are friends who are amateur musicians, and something they wished they'd been told is that they should persevere. One of my friend's mums had pushed had been pushed so hard with music that she gave up. Sort of, I guess, frustration, it was too much. So her mum didn't want to push my friend. So her mum didn't want to push her daughter too far so that that happened. She wanted her to enjoy music, but at the level that she wanted. She wanted to let her choose her own path. But my friend wished she'd had a little bit more guidance and not given up so soon. And it can be tricky to know when to stop if you think you should, but also when to keep going and when to persevere. I think this is a tricky balance to find because, I mean, I found that I I wished I didn't give up on piano so soon, but I also came back to it a bit later. And it's the same with other instruments. And I think everyone has that thing where they think, oh, I wish I hadn't given up on that so soon. But things like music, It's something you can always come back to. So if you have stopped and you wish you could start again, why haven't you? Music is a beautiful thing in that it's something you can always pick 
back up again. Okay, you might not be able to pick up an instrument as fast as you used to, or as fast as the seven-year-old who's just started learning violin can in year three, but who cares? I'm guessing that the reason you want to learn music is not so that you can learn that particular instrument faster than the seven-year-old in a music class. You want to learn music because it's enjoyable. You can do it on your own. You can do it with friends. You can do it with strangers, no matter the age or ability. And I think this is something people forget. You just assume, well, you've got older, all the things that you did when you were younger. Well, you did those, but, you know, those are the good days. Well, music's great. You just go back to it and you learn it at the pace that you're able to at that time. And as we've discussed, there are ways to make your practice more efficient. There are ways to enjoy it in a different way. So to conclude this episode, this um, episode on my own, but joined by all my friends and peers in their, in their comments on what they, they wished they'd known, is that you should go and pick up that instrument, book that music lesson, learn that song you wish you could play and do some practice. So I hope everyone has a great week. I hope you pick up an instrument that maybe you haven't played in a while, learn a new piece, go and practice the tricky bit you've been avoiding, because let's be honest, we all do it. And I hope this was helpful in even just a little way. So go follow our Instagram. It's at the notable Insta. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, share with your friends, share with your family, let us know what you think, give us a review, and uh, maybe I'll see you next month. Thank you for listening. Bye!